Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mitch Tewell. It's so good to be with you guys again. If you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Um, William and or Olivia and William send uh, their greetings to you guys. Uh, William just recently got in this habit to where he just has a meltdown anytime he gets into a vehicle, so we weren't going to make the DFW to Rockport. Uh, otherwise, they would be here with me, but I'm sure they're watching <clears throat> online. But Great to be with you guys again. Uh, it's always a real honor and privilege to be here. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't take this lightly to get to come and share God's word uh, with God's people. And so thank you for your hospitality, for having me, uh, for Andy, Billy, and everybody else for, uh, for welcoming, welcoming me here. It's always a joy. Um, so this uh, last year has been kind of a wild year for me, as I'm sure it has been for some of you guys. I know, I mean, I mean, what you guys went through with Hurricane Harvey, and then more hurricanes, and then pastoral transition. I mean, there's always, I feel like there's always something happening here in Rockport. Um, it just feels that way. Uh, every time I come down, I feel like there's something new. And, uh, you know, it's kind of been a wild year for, for myself, as it has been for probably most Americans, or really the world. Uh, I remember very early this year, uh, I had my, my team that I work with just basically dispersed and they all went and took different assignments. And so I kind of wondered, is there something wrong with me? Uh, what happened? But, uh, you know, one, one guy went on to the national ministry, too, went on to pastor. Uh, another young lady I work with went on to continue her education. But that was like my crew. That was my posse that I worked with. And they all kind of dispersed. So I was kind of bummed about that. But then February rolled around. February 18th was the birth uh, of uh, our son, William, who you just saw on the screen just a minute ago. And of course, that was a joyous moment. It was a really a, a, one of the holiest moments I've ever experienced was the birth of my son. So that was really awesome. And, but then about three weeks after that is when, you know, COVID-19 pandemic hits and everything just gets real weird and, and, shut, and shut down. And then shortly after that, you had a lot of the racial tension that came up in our, across our nation that still kind of lingers on uh, today. And then the COVID, the, the effects of COVID begins to kind of set in. And, you know, our, our, our executive director comes and kind of meets with everybody. He's basically like, hey, receipts are down a pretty good chunk. And so we're going to have to kind of trim here or there. And so everyone's worrying, well, do I have a job? Do we have a budget? Do we have, you know, all these kind of things? And praise the Lord, everything's good there. But it was just felt like this, this year, as is, is probably some of you guys feel too, has just been just kind of like this roller coaster of emotions and circumstance that you're just trying to follow and keep up with. And I don't know if you're like me at all, but you kind of will numb yourself to to kind of the, the, the things going on in your life. And you just try to fake it till you make it or just kind of put your head down and get through things. And what I find out with myself is usually when I do that and I don't deal with the internal turmoil going on in my heart or my mind, it usually not only affects me, but it affects those around me. And so when I got to like late spring, early summer, I thought, man, I really want to just, I just need the Lord to minister to my heart, minister to my soul. So I went... <clears throat> And got in the Word and um, and tried to find some balm kind of for my soul. And I remember running across Jeremiah. And if you've read Jeremiah, at the very beginning of it, God is calling him out for an assignment. And Jeremiah is like, you got the wrong guy. 
Uh, it's not me. You need to go find somebody else. And God's like, no, it is you. I'm calling you out to do this. And I identify with Jeremiah because I remember with the birth of my son, there was a, a lot of overwhelming, although it was joyful, a lot of overwhelming uh, insecurity and inadequacy. Like, I haven't even figured out how to be a husband yet. How am I going to be a, a dad as well? Like, those are two really big jobs uh, to, to handle. And so I was feeling insecure and inadequate about it. And then um, I came to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk, he sits on a hill and he looks out as these Babylonians are coming to destroy the Jewish people. And, and uh, I remember feeling like Habakkuk a little bit during the season, wondering why. You know, me, our family had just gone down to a one-income family, and then potential job cuts, and, and all this kind of stuff's happening. You're wondering, like, man, this is just really timing, bad timing, Lord. Like, why this? Why, why now? And then I think I got to a place when I got to probably June where I was like Jonah. And Jonah's sitting on a hill and he's watching God do this, this massive work and he's just bitter and he's angry about it. Like he's, he's done asking questions. He's not even talking to God. He's just angry about what God is doing. And I found myself there of, of feeling that same way. It, I mean, bitterness is my, my chief sin. It really is. It's always been an issue uh, for me. And I'm, and I'm sure you could probably identify with some of my story or maybe some of what you just heard from, from each of those prophets. Maybe something's happened to you during the season where you're feeling insecure and inadequate. Maybe it's a loss of job. And you're like, how am I going to get another job? Or, or, or a loss of income. Or maybe, I don't know, something. Maybe your job has completely changed and it's all online. And, or something that's kind of ripped you and you feel insecure or inadequate. <clears throat> Or maybe you're like Habakkuk where you're just asking why. You're just asking all the questions. God, why this? Why that? Why now? And all those things, you're asking that over and over and over again. You're maybe not even getting an answer. Or perhaps you're maybe like me where you've, you're done asking questions and you're just going to sit in your bitterness and your anger and you're just going to sulk in it. You know, all of us in some form or fashion are dealing with insecurity, loss, disappointment. And that's not just 2020. That's just life. But it's important that we recognize what is going on and how life is affecting our soul and not numb ourselves and just become a callous person that doesn't let Jesus minister to us in our deepest need. So here, as I was looking through the scriptures, I was looking through Jeremiah, looking at Bacchic, looking at Jonah, what I found is, is men that I could identify with, that I could understand what they were going through. But the problem is, is they couldn't understand what I was going through. But when I got to Hebrews chapter 2, what I found is somebody who could identify with me, and that was Jesus Christ, that in my need and my bitterness, my anger and my frustration, I had somebody that was willing to walk in the middle of it and minister to me where I needed it the most. And so today, as we, as we look at this passage, we're going to see that, man, Jesus meets us in our deepest and our darkest moments and in our deepest needs. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. I'll read and then we will pray. <clears throat> I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all of their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God 
to make atonement for the sins of the people, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Father, we love you. Lord, we have heard your word, and I pray that we would believe it and that we would obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this writer of Hebrews, he's, the context of why he's writing this is there is an issue happening among the Jewish people. So he's writing to an audience that was Jewish in history and in heritage and all these things. And so they came with all this baggage of Jewish history, heritage, and law, but they had come to faith in Christ. And so they now anchored themselves to Christ, but they began to drift away from this anchor. They begin to drift away from Jesus Christ as not only their savior, but their sustainer throughout life. And so he begins to make this apologetic, and he says, y'all, you got to remember this, all right? And we all need this, don't we? We all, here, here's the thing, as human beings, we are people that naturally will drift away from the gospel. It, it will 110% happen unless we anchor ourselves to Christ. And that's what's happening here. And so he's like, hey, just remember the prophet spoke that Jesus would come, all right? So this, was, this isn't just some new thing. They've been talking about it for thousands of years. Christ did come. He did live. He did die. He, did, he was raised from the dead. That literally happened, okay? Remember that. And then remember, after he left, there were signs and wonders proving that he was the Christ. You see this fruit and this ministry continues on. And so he's kind of calling them back. He's saying, remember that this Christ came and suffered for you, and he's not a distant Savior but he is a brother to you and is with you throughout life. And so he's kind of casting this vision of them that, yes, because sometimes we have this understanding that, okay, Christ saves me because he is supreme and he is God. And then after that, I, I don't know if I need him or, or maybe I do need him, but I don't even know how, how does that even relationship work. But he's saying, yes, Christ is supreme. He does save you, but he's also personal in nature and that he ministers to you out throughout the rest of your days. He's with you every single day. Day. So what I want us to look at is three truths to help you understand that Christ is a minister to you in your deepest needs. The first one is this. If you've taken notes, write this down. Here's the first truth. It's this. Jesus was made like you to destroy the work of darkness and liberate you from its grip. Jesus was made like you to destroy the work of darkness and liberate you from its grip. Look at verse 14. It says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. So the children, that's meaning you and me, since we have flesh and blood in common, we all have that commonality, is that Jesus also shared in these. The writer is getting across to the people that when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come as Superman, he came as the God-man. He didn't come in a cape, he just came as a regular guy. He didn't come with military or governmental power. He came as a lowly carpenter from Nazareth. When Jesus came to the earth, he shared in the flesh and blood of you like you and then like me. This really defied a lot of Jewish assumptions because what Jews thought is when the Messiah would come, he would be this big military, powerful figure, governmental might, all this kind of stuff. And like I said, he came as a carpenter from Nazareth, a lowly town of Nazareth. And as Isaiah 53, 2 says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. When Jesus came to earth, this is so important for this message. When Jesus came to earth, he came in the form of a human beset with the same weaknesses that you have and that I have. Was he God? Absolutely 100%. 
but he came in the flesh of mankind beset with the same weaknesses that you and I did, the same temptations that you and I did, obviously without sin, the same sorrows, the same grief, the same pain. He experienced all of that. So he says at the very beginning, now since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus also shared in these. Jesus came as a human. You might ask, well, why Why didn't? And I think that's what Jews struggle with is why wouldn't Jesus come, the Messiah come, just and, and just like, you know, it's kind of like in the Old Testament, like you looked at Saul, he looked like a king. David didn't. Well, when Jesus came, he didn't look like a king. He looked like a carpenter, not somebody that was going to take over the world and liberate people from sin. But it says that he had to come just like us for what? Look what it says in verse, the end of verse 14. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus' mission to coming to earth was to be set with the same weaknesses that you, you have and I have, and although that we don't have the power in ourselves to overcome the work of darkness and the devil, Jesus came just like you and me, and he overcame the devil and his wicked works. So he came to destroy the devil, but what does it say next? And to free, verse 15, free those who were held in slavery all of their lives by the fear of death. So he came to liberate us from the devil and the darkness, but also to free us from its grip so that we would no longer have to live under a domain of darkness. So if you look in Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 3, it says that we were dead in sin, following the world, following the devil. We were children of wrath. And what Jesus did is he came just like you and me and overcame the works of darkness so that he would liberate us from its grip so that we would not have to live under the rule of darkness or sin any longer. And look what it says at the very end, verse 16, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Jesus didn't come to help special people. He didn't come to help angels. That's not what he came here for. He came here to help Abraham's offspring, which means people who have placed their faith and trust in him. Sometimes we we get this idea that, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough for God. I don't know if I'm special enough for God. I don't know if, if God really likes me. I don't know if God really loves me. Here's the deal. God came for people just like you, just like you, even worse than you, is who God came to help. So the first thing we see here, that Jesus was made like you to destroy the work of darkness and liberate you from its grip. Here's the second truth, is that Jesus identifies with you. Jesus identifies with you. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. So Jesus came like you as a human beset with the weaknesses of humanity so that he could understand what you go through and what you experience in life. Because here's the deal, if Jesus comes as a superman or if he comes as a a mighty governmental military might figure, he doesn't understand the regular people. Why? Because he is high and lifted up. But what Jesus did is he came and he made himself super low so that he could completely understand you and your weakness and everything that you go through. It says that he was made, it emphasizes again, he was made like us in every way. There's not a single way that Jesus does not identify with us as a human being. And you may say, well, yeah, but he was also 100% God. Yeah, I don't get all the, th- all the inner workings of that, but what I do know is at the end of the day, Jesus knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly how you feel, and he doesn't judge you for it. 
He knows all that so that he can become a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful. You know, there's uh, two young ladies in our ministry, the college-age girls, that they're super, they're super close. I mean, they're super tight. My mom, uh, she, always, she always told me and my sister, so you guys are tighter than butt cheeks, and that's how these two girls are. They are super close. And here's why. These, these young ladies, I remember sitting at the table with me and my wife and this uh, young lady, and she's talking, and she's talking about her friends. We knew they were best friends. But then she tells us that they were both, when they were little girls, they both lost their mothers. Well, we can sit there and talk to them about losing their mothers, but the fact is me and Olivia have never lost our mothers. Both of our mothers are still living. So there's an element that, yeah, I can talk with you about this, but I can't completely identify with you. And in fact, I can't even give you the mercy that you need because I don't know the depth of that kind of loss. But her friend knows that. She experienced that as a young girl, so those girls can identify with each other, and they know exactly what each other have gone through because they've both been in the same situation. And so you know what they offer each other? Mercy. Because they get it. They know the pain. They know the sorrow. They know about going to trips or going to meetings, and maybe a mom was supposed to be there, and mom's not there. They get that. They get the level of that. And the truth is, is Jesus, that's the same way Jesus identifies with you and me. Is that we may say, I don't, I don't really know that, Mitch. I don't know if he really does get, yes, he does. It says that he was made like us in every way so that he could be merciful to us. You know, there's times that we, we have in life that maybe we get into a bad headspace or we get to a bad place in our heart or maybe we fall into sin and, and we just, all we feel is shame and condemnation. And you know what, there, under, under sin, you know, we need to feel guilty about sin. But when Jesus comes to meet you in that pain and in that sorrow and in that sin and in that grief, he doesn't come to you with judgment, condemnation, and shame. What he comes to you with is mercy. You see, we don't need a priest to go confess to. Why? Because we have one priest named Jesus who completely understands and identifies with us. And everything that we go through, whenever we come to meet him, what he offers us is mercy. And guess what the second thing he does? He offers us faithfulness. He came just like us to show us mercy, to understand where we're at, to get where we're at, and to be faithful. That anytime you call him, he's there. Anytime you ring his doorbell, he is there. By the way, I am not there if you ring my doorbell. I've got a camera. I know who it is. I'm not doing that. Text me. Jesus, everything, he's there. He is always faithful to meet you exactly where you're at, and invite you in with mercy. That's really hard for us to understand, isn't it? Because depending on how you're raised or depending on the environment you're in, there's a lot of times in life where you're told to get over it, where you're told, uh, where you're shamed or you're condemned for the way you feel about something. But when Jesus meets you, he doesn't meet you with any of that. He's always there. He's always merciful to you in your time of need. And look what it says in verse 18. Jump down to 18. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. He in, in this life that we will feel, we will be tempted. 
And because he himself has been tempted, he is now able to help step into our situation and our need and help us as we are being tempted. He was tempted with the same insecurity, the same bewilderment, the same bitterness that you feel and that I feel, that he has been tempted, he has been tried, he has been sorrowful, he has been sad, he has cried tears, he has been hurt, he has been all those things. And so now he can step into our situation and offer faithfulness and mercy to us when we need it. You know, sometimes we look around and we just think, nobody gets me, nobody understands me, nobody understands the headspace I'm in, nobody understands the condition of my heart, nobody understands the sorrow that I'm feeling, the grief that I'm experiencing, but the truth is there is one person, and Jesus is the one person who can meet you in your deepest need. Here's my third one. First one, first truth was this, Jesus was made like you, destroy the work of darkness, liberate you from its grip. Second one, Jesus identifies with you, and the third one is this. Jesus suffered for you. Jesus suffered for you. It says, verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. You know, remember the writer of this book is writing to a people who are are drifting away from God. And so what the writer is reminding them here is that Jesus did not come just to be our advocate and our counselor, even though he is. Jesus is for us. Jesus understands us. Jesus wants to counsel us through our pain and minister to us through our pain. But the truth is, if that's all he did, he would just kind of, he would just kind of coddle us to hell, basically. But really, the main reason why Jesus came, the main way that Jesus ministered to us in our deepest need is taking the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin, that he fully took it on. It says, to make atonement for the sins of the people, or some of your translations say, to make propitiation for your sins. Because here's the truth, is as I said in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that we were dead in our sin, following the course of the world, following the devil, and we were children of wrath. So when we were born into this earth and we just developed this sin nature, what happened is we began to follow the world and follow the devil, even unconsciously, even not realizing what we were doing, turning our back on God, and the Bible calls us children of wrath, meaning that if we were to die without faith in Christ, we would experience the wrath of God. When we're saved, we're not saved from our sin, we're saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from our sin, but we're really saved from the wrath of God. But what Jesus did is he came and he understood our weakness. He's like, I understand why you follow the course of the world. I understand why you follow the devil. You look at at the wilderness moment where Jesus in the wilderness, you know what the devil is saying? Follow me, follow me, worship me, follow me. Same temptation that we go through all of our days of our life. But Jesus overcame, that he endured. And he ultimately went to the cross and he took on all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of that stuff. He placed it upon his shoulders and he took the penalty for us. He took the wrath of God for us so that we wouldn't have to experience it. And by faith in him that we would be saved, that we would be liberated from darkness and be able to live a life of peace and joy and happiness, not only just here, but also eternity in heaven. And so when Jesus did that, when he, made, when he took on our sin and the wrath of God, he absorbed it, and now God is fully satisfied with you and with me. Here's the thing. Jesus knew you would experience sorrow, so he came and experienced sorrow. Jesus knew that you would experience hurt, so he came and experienced hurt. 
Jesus knew that you were going to experience grief in this world, so he came and he experienced grief. Jesus knew that when he got in this world, you'd, you'd shed a lot of tears, so he came and he shed tears. Church, you and I struggle with all these things. We've experienced all these things. In most days, what happens is they cause us to, to drift from the promises of God because we start believing in how we feel and the circumstances and cultural pressures more than we do Jesus, more than we do the word of God. But Christ came and he experienced all of it, just like you and me, so that on the day we decide to give in to sin or drift from the promises of God, man, that we have a, a reminder that we have a merciful high priest. Y'all, when I wake up in the morning, I need a merciful high priest. I'm going to mess my day up. I'm going to screw it up. And some days my wife is merciful, not all, a lot though. Livy, if you're watching, you are merciful a lot. <laughs> but I know, I know that I know that I know that I have a Savior that's going to meet me in mercy every day. And whenever I call him, he doesn't know, show me, he's there every day to meet me in my deepest need. Even if I'm ashamed of it, even if I don't want other people to see it, he meets me there. He meets me in it. He doesn't let us stay there, though. Because what the word promises us is that he has destroyed the power of the devil. He has liberated us from his grip to stay anchored to the word and to the promises of God. That Jesus' love moved him to identify with you so that, you could, so that he could feel as you feel, suffer as you suffer, and heal the wounds of your soul. You know, I think if Jesus was in here this morning and, and was just talking to you physically face to face, I think what he might say to you is, you know what? I understand what you're going through because I've been there. But don't worry, I've, I've already taken care of it. I'm liberating you to be who God is calling you to be. Jesus was made like us to destroy the work of darkness in our lives, to liberate us from his grip. He identifies with us in our weakness and in our need, and he suffered for us to liberate us to be all who God is all calling and asking us to be. So what's the, what's the application point here? And here's, here's my, here it is, is that Jesus picks up what you put down. Is that Jesus picks up what you put down. You know, many of us are sitting in here today and we're holding junk. We're just holding it. And we're, whether it's bitterness, it's unforgiveness, it's anxiousness, it's grief, it's sorrow, we're hanging on to something. And we're not putting it down. And this, this thing is not only is it eating away at us, but it's eating away at the people around us. And it's affecting our lives. And what it's causing us is we're so focused on this thing that the promises of God and the word of God is just sitting out here, but we're not even looking at it because we're so focused in on this thing. Not realizing that 2,000 years ago, Jesus already took care of that thing. He already, he already took it onto the cross and he's paid the penalty and he's let it go and we just need to believe it. And I think a lot of this comes down to what happens is we see Jesus as our savior. Yes, Jesus, you saved me, but I sustain myself through this life, not you. When Jesus wants to come into our life, he wants to grab our junk and take it from us. But what we do is we just continually, we just take it back. We just take it back. We just take it back. Jesus identifies with your unsatisfaction so he can bring you satisfaction. He identifies with your restlessness so he can give you rest. 
but we only get to this place by laying our junk down so that he can pick it up because the truth is he really already has. Jesus has overcome the world. He's ready to release you from its bondage. So let me ask you this question is, what do you need to put down today? What do you need to put down? And I want you to name it. If you have trouble naming it, just ask your spouse, ask your kids. They'll be more than happy to offer you a few things. I'm, I'm very sure of that. It's a dangerous question. It's a dangerous question. But now I want you to name it because if we don't name it, then it doesn't become personal. If we don't name it, then it's something vague. Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Is it insecurity? Is it inadequacy? Is it guilt? Uh, is it condemnation? Uh, is it fear? Is it anger? Excuse me, is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? And Jesus picks up what you put down. He picks up what you put down. You know, I have, um, in my nine, uh, Williams, in four days, I think four days, yeah, four days, he'll be nine months old, and, and I have to brag on myself for a second. that I feel like I'm becoming quite the, the diaper-changing master. And I've never done calf roping, but I think it's pretty similar and that you've got arms and legs everywhere. You're trying to put a diaper on something that doesn't want it. Uh, there's, you know, bodily fluids and stuff. It's just not a, it's not a great picture. But what I do know is that it's not good for William to sit in a wet or dirty diaper. If you don't know those different, I just learned that, just wet or dirty. But it's not good for him to sit in those. And so here's the thing. is, is It's not good for him to sit because it's not good for him and it's not good for us. And honestly, it just really stinks. And so even right now, so he's transitioned from the craft yellow mustard phase to now he's in like organic natural granola bar phase. So it's not nearly as messy, but it stinks way worse. And uh, so I'm still kind of getting through it. But what if this, like what if, what if I walk into William's uh, room one morning and I'm getting him up, which we always change his diaper first thing. And he just says, you know what, dad? It's a miracle. He's speaking in full sentences, incredible vocabulary. And he says, you know what, dad? Just don't change the diaper today. Let's just, let's just sit in this for a little while. You know, maybe, a, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe, maybe a month. Absolutely not, man. We are changing that diaper. We're going to clean that up. I'm going to have your mom come in and do that, and then we're going to get this finished. We're going to get this done. You know, it wouldn't make any sense. Wouldn't be good for him. It definitely wouldn't be good for us. And here's, here's the truth. And this, the reason why I share that is because some of us, that junk, we're just sitting in it. And it's eaten away at us, but not just eaten away at us. It's eaten away at our family. And it's eaten away at our friends. And it's eaten away at our church because we're holding on to things that Jesus has called us to put down and let him carry. But we just won't do it. And I don't want to guilt you in that because some of us, you're like, I don't know how to do that. You have some strongholds in your life. And so I'd recommend you talk to a pastor, you talk to a counselor, something about how to kind of lay some of those things down in your life. I remember for me, with I had a lot of bitterness and anger towards my dad, and it's taken years for me to overcome that, but I kept picking it up over and over and over again. It took me some deep heart work before I could get over it. But Jesus picks up what you put down, what you put it down.